This is the Biblical Mind Podcast, produced by the Center for Hebraic Thought. Honest five-star reviews help others find this podcast. Visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org for articles and videos that explore the deep structures of Scripture. I would I would think a lot of people never even think about Jewish pilgrimage. Like it's not even a thought that crosses their mind. Well, no. So we have we have a couple of narratives, including uh, just after Jesus' birth, where mm. he's going to. I mean, he's not going. He's being taken to Jerusalem by Mary and Joseph, and then um, and it, we, it's bookended with you know when he's going to get crucified. Um, it's Passover, which is another pilgrimage holiday. Mm. Um, and the whole, the whole crucifixion narrative for my students takes away, even if they've had a conversation about pilgrimage, it's often missed, right? That he's doing pilgrimage. He's celebrating Passover. Luke tells us that he's eating Passover, mm. um, in the gospels. Um, and it's just, it's, it's overlooked. So I find when, when people talk about pilgrimage and trying to figure out what pilgrimage was in the first century, they're often going like before the gospel and then they may tackle acts, but they're not often tackling the gospels. Hmm. Um, and so even that yeah. pilgrimage of, of Jesus as a child, I, I mean, the, the assumption of the gospel writers, I assume would have been um, that he's participating in the sacrifice of the lamb um, that, uh, you know, his household would have sacrificed. We should, is that correct? Well, we'll stop there. Is it, do you think that's correct that he's, uh, his father is probably sacrificing and right. I'm yeah, going off the pa- Samaritan sacrifice that I, uh, right. that I saw at Mount Gerizim that. Did, did you see it live? Yeah. 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 I saw the live oh, sacrifice. My goodness. Yeah. And I was writing the book on I, ritual and, uh, uh, okay. And I had to, I was there, I was living in Jerusalem. So I was like, Hey, I got to go see an animal sacrifice. I've wanted to see it. I've only seen pictures and videos. It, it certainly, um, it, and I went with a Brazilian friend and, uh, and he, like, he called it as soon as we're halfway through it. And he's just like, ah, Shuhasco, this is barbecue, right? This is like, this is what churches do. (laughs) Yeah. They start with a live animal and they end with a dead animal and there's some prayers in there. And so it very it demystified a lot of aspects to animal sacrifice for me, even if it's not you know I, I don't know if we can say that it's directly analogous to what you see in Leviticus, but it's close. I actually tell my students about the altar in Jerusalem just being a big barbecue. Yeah, and they they get a kick out of that, and I said you laugh, right. but it's also true. And and we know that God likes barbecue because yes, exactly the fatty parts are for Him, and that's the and anybody who barbecues knows that's the pleasing aroma comes from the fatty bits. That's right. You have the lereach nikoach coming right, exactly. up and smelling yep. it, enjoying it. Yeah. Um, the so the sacrifice. So if it so, there's three pilgrimage holidays, right? Right. So there's there's uh. Well, the one that we're most familiar with because of the Gospels is the Passover. Then the one we're familiar with because of the Book of Acts is Pentecost right. or Shavuot. And then there's Sukkot that happens coming up in the fall. Um, surely during the Passover, um, the head of the family participating in the sacrificial system and giving the Passover lamb that they then will eat is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that, of that ritual that they then share. And some people have actually missed it, when Jesus sits down with his disciples and he says, how I've longed to eat this Passover with you. 
some scholars have even suggested that there that they, there is no Passover lamb there, that he's just speaking about the holiday and they miss mm. the Hebraism that right. the, the animal is the same name as the holiday. Right. So that when he says, I, I've desired, I've long desired to eat this Passover with you, he's speaking in front of a full plate. Right, right. Um, yeah, so we should stop there and think, because you said Passover is pilgrimage, and I think some mm-hmm. people will be confused on this point because they'll say, wait, in Exodus, it's it seems to be a home-based, you know, the actual original event is in the home. Right. Uh, it seems to be a, a home prescription, you know, in the days to come when your sons ask. And then, and then we get to Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, everybody's coming down to Jerusalem to do this. Um, and again, for modern Jews today, it's not a Jerusalem-based event. It's back in the home. So what right. happened there? So at least in the ancient period, it seems that we, I mean, in Deuteronomy, we already have the three holidays that say you should not show before the Lord empty-handed. Right, and these right. are the three holidays that that it describes, although it describes them in diff- slightly different wording. Most scholars put the actual uh, process of pilgrimage, which I guess the 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 easiest definition would be um, taking a journey to a sacred place to fulfill some sort of ritual, right? Mm. And scholars have talked about the various definitions of pilgrimage and how this changes and how this uh, looks in the larger Greco-Roman world. Because outside of Jerusalem, you have people making pilgrimages to their local temples or to the big temples, like the one to Artemis in Ephesus. Um, But for Judaism, apart from the one competitor temple we have in Leontopolis, Egypt, for a little while, I mean, pilgrimage is always going to the one temple in Jerusalem, at least for Judaism. Um, And it seems most scholars will put usually the resurgence of these um, aspects of Jewish life right around the Hasmonean period. Mm. So this includes the resurgence of spoken Hebrew and other various acts of Jewish religious practice. And then um, I forget who it was. I think it might be Martin Goodman who puts uh, Herod's reign and his uh, his renovations of the temple, um, putting in, water supplies and aqueducts and all this other stuff that then encouraged even more pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And that's sort of when it reaches, reaches its height. Right. And that's the, he tripled the size of the temple Mount almost. Exactly. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So that brings up lots of uh, issues. And so you're talking about the Hasmonean. So we're talking about 150 years or so before Jesus. Uh, yeah. Uh, so very recent uh, history when it comes to Christian history. Um and even that, what Herod does uh, to Jerusalem, creating that pilgrimage site, I mean, there's a mercantilism that comes with uh, pilgrimage, right? So there's money being made by somebody here, right? And this is going to be always, uh, I don't know what you call it, the, the I'm, I'm trying to avoid the word sinful temptation, but there's always going to be a temptation <laughs> yeah. to turn it into an industry, an industrial complex, right? Right, and, exactly. And, and maybe some have even seen what Jesus is doing in the temple as rebuking that industrialized complex of uh, temple sacrifice. So, and, uh, and I'm saying this knowing that everybody who's taken Western Civ, you know, the European history part is fully aware of the relic and pilgrimage industry uh, right. of the Roman Catholic right. Church, right? That becomes problematic at certain points. So, 
how, is Jewish pilgrimage in the first century, is it like that? Uh, um, or it, does it suffer from all those same temptations or is it doing something completely different? I mean, well, specifically for Herod, he's, I mean, his, his thing is going to be bringing in the money, right? Mm. And he knows, I mean, with that, he knows that pilgrimage will try and get the Jewish people on his side. Right. Right. It's doing lots of political um, favors for him. Both exactly. As a client exactly. king and to the, to the Jews as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, for the Jewish people, pilgrimage is going to be an aspect of uh, fulfilling the commandments, even though it is largely regarded that these commandments weren't um, a sort of have to do, mm. right? That there was something that you were, that you did if you were a, uh, it was a, it was a show of piety, right? Right. We are going because we want to fulfill this aspect of the commandments, and then even Philo speaks about you know people coming from the diaspora to go to Jerusalem. Some only came once in their entire lives, mm-hmm. but they would make their way to Jerusalem for this uh, for this journey. Now, comparing to sort of later pilgrimage, I guess there are there are similarities and there are differences. Um, the big difference, of course, I would say is the the attraction to a single city, Hmm. whereas all pilgrimage, whether it's Greco-Roman or later Christian is more varied and, and and sent out to different places or local places or, well, it's it's every, every city wanted to get their dot on the map of pilgrimage. Exactly. 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 And you even see that now with the various, uh, the various routes of the Camino that Mm. go through Portugal and, and, you know, to eventually get to the traditional barrier spot of James. Um, with this, uh, I mean, part of it is part of the, for the people who go on pilgrimage, part of this is going to be um, the rhythm of life, right? Because mm. if, because the gospel of Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph, that this was their custom. Mm. So if they're going on Passover, that means that, financially they have to be prepared every year for this period of time right let's say they don't go on other pilgrimage journeys but passover is their custom mm. right they have to be prepared to make the journey to stay there for the length of the of the holiday and then to make their way back and, and they as can't i tell send my st- emails preparing the way for that no right? exactly yeah. and yeah. i tell my students there's no vacation pay it's right. not like they, they tap into their supervisor and say i'm going to take a week off um, and I, I need to go to Jerusalem for pilgrimage. This is something that they have to be have in forethought uh, months before it's going to happen, including leave, leaving your hamlets, leaving yes. your fields, leaving your yep. all the subsistence living that you've cultivated so carefully. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So they, I mean, the the, I mean, usually they probably, I mean, they're probably going in caravans. One of the problems with pilgrimage in the Second Temple period is that our sources, which are really the New Testament, Philo and Josephus are not the most giving resources mm. in terms of information. We have some information that um, Shmosa Fry, a professor uh, formerly of Hebrew University, is no longer with us, um, has written an, uh, a Hebrew book on pilgrimage mm. where he deals with not only the New Testament and the Second Temple sources, but brings in rabbinic sources. Mm. Unfortunately, it's never been translated, Hmm. Um, but you find that rabbinic sources, you know, whatever you may think of them, whether you think they're too late, so we can't use them for the second temple period or you're somewhere in the middle, 
he uses them to to explain and does so critically in most cases to tell to to shed light on what pilgrimage was in the second temple period mm. for me i think that this is and this is sort of one of my overarching things um that the gospels even if they uh find later layers upon the narratives um that they that they give us uh, this source that they allow us to have a source of pilgrimage in a detail or details that we don't have in other sources. Yeah. And I, I mean, one reason these sources, all of them might not be as detailed as we would want today is because it's uh, maybe for some people such an obvious, you know, it's like telling somebody you went on a road trip this summer out to California. Like, yeah. You know, and they're not going to say, and what did you do once your gas yeah, exactly. got low? <laughs> well, we stopped at a gas exactly. station. A gas station? What's that? Say more. Exactly. <laughs> it's just yeah, assumed uh, that people knew how this went, right? Well, I guess that happens with sources. You have to try to figure out, well, what was everyday life like if you right. don't have that information in a source? And, right. you know, I think for me, you know, there is some comparison to modern day life, whereas, you know, I have a, a good friend and a colleague who's done the Camino a number of mm. times. Um, and you have this sort of cottage industry that breaks out right. because of the Camino. You have places you need to stay, you know, that are that are affordable for pilgrimages, uh, pilgrims, places where they can eat, you know, places where they can stay, places where they can, you know, uh, wash themselves up and rest. Um, and I have to imagine that that sensibility has existed for centuries. Right. You know, millennia, potentially. Um, so I think the same thing for pilgrimage. Pilgrimage also has this other aspect to it that um, you, you do get this from some of even the gospel um, parables is danger on the roads. Um, yes. And uh, the, the necessity of strategically located stopping points, right? That you have to turn right. in somewhere for the night. I mean, you even get it actually uh, a pilgrimage of sorts or a road trip like this in uh, Judges 19, you know, where you have the, the Levite and his concubine. Like, let us right. turn into the city of Jebus. No. Now we're going to yeah. turn into this other city where my brothers are. You're like, oh, okay. That didn't turn out so well. This, well. Is, this is actually where I think the, uh, and we don't think about it as a pilgrimage narrative, and it may not be, um, but the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right, right. Right? He's on he's on the road that we know that goes from Jericho to Jerusalem, which is likely the road that pilgrims are taking if they make their way through what is now Jordan, mm -hmm. right? Which would have been Perea at the time. Right. Uh, and we know from Strabo, uh, that when Pompey comes in the, the Roman general in 63, that one of the things he wants to do is sort of clear that road of all the brigands and the thieves mm. and the individuals seeking to bring hurt onto people. Yeah. So that, that narrative, even though it doesn't mention pilgrimage fits very nicely within the larger thinking of what pilgrimage was like. Yeah. And that makes sense also too, because that, that Roman road going down to Jericho, it's goes through the Hills and there's a, a yes. million places to hide and exactly. to rob people and move on. Yeah. Yep. Um, coming back to Joseph and Mary for a second, thinking about, uh, you, you know, they're up in the Galilee, which is almost like your nearest version of diaspora. It's, it's almost diaspora right up there. Um, and, 
So I guess why would a pilgrimage be important for those people? I mean, everybody think you know, if you haven't been to Israel, you think of Nazareth as this holy city, this Jewish right. place, right? And then you go and you right. realize like, oh, it's really cut off on the top of this hill out in the middle of yeah. nowhere, kind of. Um, so why would pilgrimage, what would it mean to them specifically that it wouldn't mean necessarily to someone who lived in the Shefla, the hills around Bethlehem or something? Yeah, so I think, I think the one thing... I think the one thing we have to contend with, and this is, I think, been missed in a number of New Testament commentaries, is that the Galilee is often portrayed as having some stark separation from Jerusalem. Um, and I, I, I'm of the opinion, and a number of people are of this opinion as well, that the sources suggest that there, that in the Hasmonean period, the people that go and then inhabit Galilee are actually very well connected mm. to Jerusalem. We see this in archaeology and we see this in ancient sources, right? So that I think that this relationship between, you know, Judea in the south and Galilee in the north um, creates a desire to be in Jerusalem where the temple is, mm. right? Because as one scholar has said, there's nothing strategic necessarily about Jerusalem. Jerusalem is important because it's a holy city, right? right? Compared compared to other cities that are on major routes, Jerusalem is on this trunk road that sort of goes down it's the mountains, end, right? the yeah. central hill country, yeah. right? Exactly. But literally, it dead uh, ends on the yeah, a, a exactly. peninsula, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, it seems to me, and we know this a little bit from from the stone that was found in Magdala. Right, right. I was thinking that of this one. People yeah. have suggested that the, it has temple imagery on it, and then it has the menorah, which is sort of the uh, the temple poster child, I guess. Um, like an icon was a, the, of the temple, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. That there was a desire to be in Jerusalem, to be in the temple, to fulfill these rites, um, and that Galileans made themselves available to do so. Hmm. So, yeah, and I, we should point out that um, Nazareth, again, though we think of it as kind of a, the Jesus city, um, right. there was a very particular wave of Jews that moved up to that area, uh, right? So that, that wasn't a permanently settled Jewish city. Is that correct? Uh, Nazareth, uh, yeah. So our most, so it's been discussed by, by Mordecai Avion that our, a lot of our, our most Jewish cities in the north are smaller cities that maintain a strong Jewish identity are going to be um, east of, uh, of, of places like Nazareth. And so in, this, in, the, in the lower Galilee right. and areas like that. Okay. So, yeah, so that you have to imagine what, what would cause people who are, especially Joseph, clearly from, uh, located, his family's located in Bethlehem, what causes him to move so far away? I mean, one one thing is it's, it's easier to farm up there. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. just, uh, there's, more, there's more water up there, right? So, like, <laughs> yeah, that's there's some, true. There's some very natural reasons and you can be, you have access, I guess, to the Sea of Galilee as well. Um, but yeah, so this is a, this is a movement back and forth that they seem to be making. Well, like, do you, do we have a sense of how people thought about what they were doing? Like, is it all about getting to Jerusalem? You know, thinking about pilgrimage in general, is it all about getting there or is it the friends we made along the way? Uh, do you have any sense of that? I think that it's, uh, so I think one is, 
So you're traveling in groups, right? As opposed to, you know, two people walking down four or five days down a, down a lonely road. Safety issue. Yeah. Um, Right. If it's your custom and you're taking the same route, then you're making connections with individuals in Mm -hmm. smaller cities. And this is one of the things that is, that's been difficult in, in my trying to think about pilgrimage and routes and try to see what happened on those routes is that the archaeology of Jordan um, is not always attuned to say Jewish remains in a particular city. Mm. But I would, I would imagine as they're making their way through Jordan or what we see in the gospel of John is they're making their way through Samaria and they mm. stop at Sakar. Um, it says his disciples go off to find food, um, uh, which one means that they have some understanding of the city and if they have some understanding in the city, I can't imagine at that time that you're not making contact with people so that it's similar to now. Like if you, if you go to Israel, any number, any number of times of year, you find that you know, certain people, know mm-hmm. certain shops, they expect you, they see you. It's sort of a rhythm of life that happens. And yeah. I think the same thing's happening in pilgrimage. They're going to uh, various small villages the people expect them because the holidays are all on the calendar, right? They they are not. Uh, it's not a shock that they're right, a surprise right. visit. Um, and I'm sure that there are places where pilgrims stay that are getting ready. Yeah, they're to storing accept up a larger influx. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and I think that's going to create even more identity between, say, what we might call Galileans and Judeans. Mm. That that's going to solidify. Um, the Galileans as being in close relationship with the Judeans to the South. Hmm. So let's talk about the people who have given up on Jerusalem. Uh, and that's the people down South of Jericho there, uh, the Essenes. They, yeah. they, they essentially, well, at least to some extent rebuked the temple industrialized complex. Um, mm-hmm. So are they the anti pilgrimage people in, in, in this view? <laughs> <laughs> They're the other end of the spectrum. That's a good. Like we refuse to go. (laughs) Yeah. The anti-pilgrimage people. Well, what's interesting is, so of course the Dead Sea Scrolls folk, um, you know, want to get back to Jerusalem, Hmm. right? They may have at least the ones in the desert because Josephus tells us that the Essenes are, are perhaps living in the cities, Hmm. not simply in Kirbet Qumran. Right. Right. Um, and there is a discussion about, um, Kirbet Qumran, Dead Sea Scroll things, reflecting uh, even groups outside of them. Um, but they want to get back to Jerusalem, so they want to make the pilgrimage, let's say. Right. And they want God to reestablish them in the temple um, and even create a new temple. Um, but they, as you say, they have turned away from this establishment for various disagreements uh, some people think mostly halakhic reasons, mostly mm-hmm. legal reasons that they're they're not fulfilling the law as they should in Jerusalem. Which, by the way, is a, is a, is the same similar critique that Jesus has and say. other Pharisaic rabbis yeah. have. Of, they heard about Jesus the, going to the temple. They're like, man, yeah. that's what we wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> beat us to it. They also they also think to some extent. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. I would say that Kirbet Qumran is. A temple to them, but it's it's surely a sacred place, that right? So true, they've, yeah. tr- they've transferred transferred to some extent the sanctity to where they are, hmm. um, because even if they're not doing pilgrimage, their association 
with the temple is still central to their identity. Hmm. Um, and I think that's part of the larger world of Judaism, that a lot of their identity is going to be connected to the temple, even if there were strands of first century Judaism who were beginning to move more to synagogues. Hmm. Yeah, so in in Qumran, you see this kind of shift away from the the ritual life of Israel having to be at the temple, even if they want it to be there. It's not right. it's not there anymore. And so the shift towards kind of ultimate piety and preparation for the the coming judge, uh, the righteous leader, right? Um, right. And uh, but do you see a similar? You don't see a similar thing in kind of synagogal Judaism where. Um, or do we see a similar movement in synagogal Judaism? Like, okay, well, we're too far away from there. We're we're in the diaspora, so let's just focus on piety and purity for the return. Is it a similar movement? Yeah, I think I think most of it is practical. I think distance plays a role, mm-hmm. and it's just taking advantage of what they have locally. Um, so you know, first century synagogue is basically the public resource building of the community. Mm. Right. And sometimes it's going to be used for, let's say, religious practices, reading of the scriptures, studying of the scriptures. And then other times it's going to be used for communal activities, whatever those communal activities are. As a matter of fact, we have a couple of uh, we have at least one first century synagogue that was used for storage during battle. Hmm. Right. And that's the one at Gamala, Hmm. Um, at least a city that's suggested to be Gamala. There's some disagreement as to whether it's actually Gamala or not, but we'll leave that to the side for now. It still was a first century synagogue that was used for storage when Rome came in and destroyed the Galilee um, and destroyed that city. Storing weapons or storing food and supplies? Everything. Okay, everything. Yeah. So I think that it's, I think a lot of these things that we sometimes try to put up as, uh, you know, they need to have a very drawn out, lined up, logical reason for doing it, that some of it is just simply practical. Yeah. Um, And I think... It's difficult for, I, it, I mean, I guess you could think of it as, as a sense of a good church is going to do this as well. It's going to provide space for teaching people how to read and write, creating resources sure. for people who are in need. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, teaching scripture, hosting wedding receptions, et cetera. Adjudicating like conflict between yeah, families. Et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I think some of the, the downplaying of the commandment to not show up you know, before the Lord, let's say in the temple or the tabernacle, empty handed um, becomes not one of those things that is enforced for everybody because of the because of the fact that every you are in the diaspora or even if in your Jeru- if you are in Israel, the land of Israel, it, it's a long walk. It's an arduous walk. Yeah. Right. To say the least. And it's hot. Uh, and it's hot. <laughs> Most exactly. of the time. Yeah. Exactly. And the, one of the one of the main routes is gonna have you at least in the Jordan Valley, which is going to be the warmest <laughs> part. So True so that. I think a lot of a lot of what develops in first century practice is pra- uh, practice is just simply, you know, uh, how do we make this so that people can still serve the God of Israel? Um but have certain comforts, if that's a word you can use for the first century. Right. Comforts, yeah, relative to the life. <laughs> right, relative, exactly. And, yeah, exactly. Um, one last uh, test case I'd like to throw past you is 
uh, John the Baptist, does he create a pilgrimage by, you know, the people are going down to the Jordan to be baptized? Is that is that kind of the creation of a de novo pilgrimage? That's a really good question. I've never thought about I, it like thank that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nobody ever says that about me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess people are... Um, you might say that the way Matthew describes it, and I think Mark as well, where you have all of particular regions coming to him, um, that there's an aspect of a journey and the journey is to uh, perform some religious rite mm. with some spiritual meaning. If that is the definition that we're using for pilgrimage, then I would say yes. Okay, we're getting close there, yeah. I think, actually, that for me, the Gospel of Luke, um, in its longer retelling, um, and I presented a paper on this in terms of um, where John the Baptist is located geographically, and then also um, what Luke is doing with John the Baptist, that I think John, I mean, Luke actually has sources that go back to the historical John. Right. Um, and that, and that some of his teachings are, um, maybe not as well, they might be, they might fit under a larger meaning of pilgrimage. Um, but he's more so attempting to bring forth ideas of redemption mm. that we have in the Dead Sea Scrolls and other second temple sources, which are not as clear in Matthew, Mark, and John. Mm. Um, yeah. And there's a judgment element there. I mean, so, he, you know, sure, he's, he's, absolutely. He's kind of that Essenian, like there is a judgment coming. Uh, he's that Malachian, you know, yes. like preparing for the flames. Uh, so repent yeah. today. I do think it's kind of funny though. If you think about like just the physicality of making, you know, you hear about this man in the wilderness, it's John the Baptist, you know, you make it all the way out there to this prophet of Israel and you're, and you're greeted with this, like who told you brood of vipers to <laughs> flee the rest? Yeah. We were just coming out here to see you, man. We didn't, you That's the welcome wagon. Is it's just, you know, like the disciples on the way are just like, just so you know, he's going to be a little crotchety when you get up to the river. <laughs> just so you know, everyone knows him to be a little intense. Yeah. But once you get past that intensity, he's a good guy. Just, like that John, he's always at an 11. <laughs> exactly. Well, Dr. Jeffrey Garcia, thank you so much for your wisdom and just walking us through this very complex uh, world and topography of pilgrimage today. Thank you for having me. It's been great. You've been listening to the Biblical Mind Podcast exploring the deep structures of Christian scripture. For more, visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org. Subscribe to this podcast at all the usual places so you never miss an episode.